morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm pleased to be here with Minister of Environment and Protected Areas, Rebecca Schultz, and Minister of Affordability and Utilities, Nathan Newdorf. Ottawa persists in trying to regulate and remake Alberta's electrical system from generation to transmission to distribution, which will make life more expensive for families and put the reliability of our grid at risk. And they're pushing ahead with their plan, even though Section 92A of the Constitution of Canada is clear that legislating and regulating the development of electricity falls within the jurisdiction of the provinces. Alberta's government is committed to protecting Albertans from federal overreach. That is why uh, this afternoon I intend to table a resolution in the chamber under the Alberta sovereignty within a United Canada Act. We developed this legislation to shield the province from federal intrusions, and we're using it now because the consequences of this particular overreach would be so severe. Alberta will bear the largest share of the expenses required to meet these absurd targets, and consumers and businesses will see their bills soar. If the federal government has its way, many people will be left without electricity that they can pay for on a power grid that will fall short or even fail in a typical Alberta winter or summer. We refuse to go along with this plan. While Britons must have access to affordable and reliable power when and where they need it, it's a matter of health and safety and a matter of financial reality. No one should have to choose between paying their utility bills or buying needed groceries. But it's also a matter of law. As I mentioned earlier, the Constitution is clear. Electricity is a provincial responsibility. The federal government would do well to remember that. They have already lost two recent court battles in which their overreach into provincial jurisdiction was struck down by the courts. Ottawa's approach is also at odds with reality. Although Alberta leads the country in renewable investment, we still cannot use it for the majority of our electricity needs. For Albertans to have electricity they can count on, our province needs more baseload power from natural gas. Alberta does not have extensive hydroelectric resources that they enjoy in other provinces. We don't yet have nuclear as they do in Ontario, and that will take a lot of time and money to get there. Natural gas is the foundation of our electricity system in Alberta, and it will be for decades to come. If we don't have enough natural gas baseload power in the coming years, we will have brownouts and blackouts in the dead of winter and in the hottest days of summer. And electricity prices will be astronomical. It's simply too massive a risk for Albertans and Alberta businesses, and it's a risk that we are facing thanks to Ottawa. There are simply not enough natural gas projects coming on stream in Alberta. And the main reason we haven't received enough new applications for natural gas generation is because the federal government has created uncertainty through its proposed electricity regulations, the Impact Assessment Act, and other destructive federal policies. And even though they keep losing in court and in public opinion, it hasn't changed Ottawa's mind. And they continue to push for their net zero electricity grid by 2035. And power providers don't want to move ahead with investments when they can't be sure that there will be any returns. And they can't even be sure that they won't end up in jail. So Alberta's government must act. We can't put the stability of our electricity grid at risk 
This is why we're introducing a resolution under the Alberta Sovereignty within a United Canada Act. Our resolution will ask the legislature for approval to take several actions over the coming months. It asks Cabinet to order all provincial entities to refrain from enforcing or complying with the proposed federal electricity regulations. This obviously doesn't include individuals or private corporations. The resolution asks the government to work with partners like the Alberta Electric System Operator, the Alberta Utilities Commission, industry indigenous communities and consumers to reform the electric grid with the goal to make electricity in this province more reliable and affordable and the resolution also urges government to partner with industry and other stakeholders to study the feasibility of setting up an Alberta Crown Corporation to maintain and secure additional reliable affordable electricity from natural gas if the clean electricity regulations continue to scare away private investors from doing it themselves. We believe in our private market and that Albertans have been well served by it. We will continue to promote private electricity generation distribution and retail. We will preserve the interests and value of the hundreds of billions of dollars of capital investment made by Alberta's electricity system by private generators, transmitters and distributors and enable continued competition and attraction of private investment into Alberta's electricity sector. However, we also know that Alberta's proposed electricity regulations, if they continue to move forward, would simply put too many Alberta homes and businesses at risk. We need to protect against that. A Crown Corporation, as a provincial entity, could be directed to disregard the proposed federal electricity regulations, if need be, and focus on ensuring we have sufficient electricity from natural gas added to Alberta's grid if private generators are unable to do so due to the risks proposed by the clean electricity regulations. In addition, if the CER threaten the ability of private generators to continue producing electricity at an existing power plant after 2035, a Crown Corporation could potentially purchase that power plant to maintain that power on the grid to keep the lights on in the province. And it could also partner with investors to de-risk and develop nuclear power and other emerging genera generation technologies in the province as we move towards carbon neutrality by 2050. These measures are not something that we want to do. They are a plan to counteract the absurd, illogical, unscientific, and unconstitutional interference in Alberta's electrical grid by a federal government that simply doesn't care what happens to our province, so long as they have a good virtue signaling story to tell their leftist friends and special interests. We would much rather work with Ottawa on meaningful ways to reduce emissions while continuing to generate reliable, affordable electricity. That's better for all Albertans and Canadians. But we refuse to meekly accept actions which are so plainly destructive to Alberta's economy and to the very safety and security of Alberta citizens. We will do whatever we must to stand up and protect the people of this province. And I'll now invite Minister Nathan Newdorf to say a few words. Thank you, Premier. Good morning, everyone. Today's announcement is about standing up for Albertans. The clean electricity regulations as they are currently written cannot and will not be allowed to come into effect in this province. Ottawa has not yet backed down despite clear modeling from independent regulators that shows their plan is impossible. Their negotiations with provinces have been biased by their electoral ambitions and missed the nuances of our unique energy only market entirely. 
Alberta, while committed to carbon neutrality, is unable to achieve such a goal by 2035 without dangerous consequences for Albertan families and job creators. With this resolution, our government's first use of the Alberta sovereignty within a United Canada Act, we are showing that if these clean electricity regulations come into force in 2035, we are willing to do whatever is necessary to ensure Albertans' lights stay on. But this isn't just about keeping lights on. If in 2035 our electricity producers are forced to power down the generators that we rely on under threat of imprisonment, the lights will only, only be one of Albertans' many worries. Imagine coming home from a vacation only to find your water pipes have frozen and burst. Imagine your kitchen appliances failing you when you need to cook your family a holiday dinner. Imagine the technology we rely on for recreation and family time or even work becoming unreliable. These are not cliché circumstances. This is exactly what was happening in places like California and Germany where they have had to return to baseload power like natural gas and coal. Even Ontario, which has nuclear and hydro resources that we have, have, can only yet dream of, they are expanding gas-fired generation to meet their growing demand. We also know that when the temperature drops, wind and solar are often less efficient. This past Wednesday, an analysis of wind power generation in Alberta found the province's 44 wind farms managed to produce only 0.3% of their total capacity. At the same time, solar was at, at zero output because it was uh, during the night. Our province relies on natural gas generators 365 days a year to fuel all of these essentials and more. It isn't just our government that is taking a stand against the CER. Other provinces are standing with us. And countless Albertans, including business and community leaders, rural and urban, have made their voices heard. This resolution is a last resort. We should not have had to take this step. We wanted the federal government to negotiate with us in good faith so that we can work together and achieve a carbon neutrality by 2050 in a realistic and feasible manner, one where Albertans won't have to worry if they freeze in the dark or have costs go through the roof. Unfortunately, Ottawa has yet to truly demonstrate they are willing to work with us and listen to our realities. If the CERs are put into effect in 2035, the actions in this resolution will ensure that we are prepared to protect the people of this province. Alberta's effort to move towards carbon neutrality by 2050 is an example for the entire world. We lead the country in technology and innovation within the electricity center sector. We are leading the charge in researching and building cutting-edge advancements in emissions reduction like carbon capture, hydrogen use, and in the future, small modular reactors. Our province is committed to implementing effective and innovative solutions that will lower our emissions and protect our climate. Our goal of carbon neutrality by 2050 is one shared by many other nations and has been enshrined in international agreements. It is a goal that we can achieve while maintaining grid reliability and affordability. With these clean electricity regulations, Ottawa has shown it is more than willing to overstep its constitutional bounds and infringe upon provincial jurisdiction. Section 92A1C of Canada's Constitution clearly defines the province's exclusive jurisdiction over electricity generation. We will, no longer, we will not surrender our constitutional obligations to govern our electricity grid. Albertans deserve safe, reliable, and affordable electricity when and where they need it. Alberta's government will not allow a future where our electricity producers are threatened with imprisonment and our people are forced to suffer every day under the looming threat of blackouts and brownouts. Today we show the federal government that Alberta will not abide their attempts at overreach. It is our responsibility to all the people within this province that we stand up for them if this worst-case scenario comes to pass, and that is exactly what we're going to do. Thank you very much.
Thank you. Uh, we'll now go into our media question and answer period. Before that, I just want to remind those on the line and in the room that this press conference is under embargo. Any remarks given uh, fall under the same rules uh, until the motion is introduced at approximately 3 p.m. All materials will be under embargo as well as this press conference. We'll start with questions in the room. One question, one follow-up, and then go over to the lines. Can I see a show of hands for those in the room? <laughs> start off with you, Dean. Uh, uh, morning, Premier. So uh, it looks like you're... you're Motion today has kind of four main parts. One is, you know, it reiterates the comments you've already made about your concerns with net zero. You ask civil servants to sort of challenge or oppose it, but you you make it clear don't don't break the law. You tell individuals and private corporations they won't be asked to break the law. And you're looking at creating a working group to to renationalize the power grid. So. It seems to me you can do all that now. Maybe I'm missing something. Why do we need the Sovereignty Act to do any of this? A couple of reasons. Uh, One is that for Alberta to move to a position where we have to take up a a government-owned entity in this market is quite a departure from the past. I think people would be very surprised that we're contemplating that. And we have to make sure that uh, the market knows our intention that we want them. We want private sector operators to build us more baseload grid. We want the private sector to come forward with uh, natural gas generation, with uh, nuclear generation. But if they don't, then we will need to step in. So we're sending a message to the market that this is a reluctant entry. I, I wouldn't characterize it as a nationalizing industry. Alberta Treasury branches plays within the financial services sector, but they certainly do not monopolize it. There are a multitude of other credit unions and banks that people can participate in. So being a participant in the market is very similar to what EPCOR and NMAX already do. EPCOR is a wholly owned um, entity of the city of Edmonton. NMAX is a wholly owned entity of the city of Calgary. Um, Should we decide to move forward, this would be a wholly owned entity of the province and it would operate in the market. Um, where it is needed as a generator of last resort, not first resort. It's a generator of last resort. Um, so that's one part, is that we wanted uh, people to know why we were departing from a long-standing tradition in this province. We also want to begin the process of engagement before we make a final decision. So we will be inviting industry to give us recommendations about how we can move forward and, and de-risk these proposals. If there's a better way to do it where we can get baseload power on, then, you know, I'm all ears. I want to hear it. This is just one thing that, uh, that we potentially could do. Uh, the, uh, the third aspect would be the, the only way that I could see that we would be able to protect our industry and our markets here and our consumers is uh, by having a crown corporation should the federal government continue to proceed with their clean electricity regs. Um, I'm watching with interest what's happening in Saskatchewan. They've come to the same conclusion that uh, they can, uh, they're taking steps now to indemnify their, uh, the people who are responsible for their power corporations so that they don't end up uh, facing any kind of criminal charges. So we'll watch and see how that goes. But um, that, that would be the, the other part is that the only, I cannot give direction to a private sector company to define the law. And I won't give direction to a private sector company to do that. But if we operate a crown corporation, we will do it on the basis that we're only stepping in so that we can make sure that we preserve power. The, uh, the other aspect to this is we need to make it clear to the courts that we're doing this mindfully. Um, ultimately, if they proceed on 
with their plan, this will end up in the court. And we want the, uh, the Supreme Court to know that we are very considered in uh, the measures that we're taking, that we have paid attention to the two judgments that have come down at the federal court level, including one at the Supreme Court, and that we are very mindful and we've read the Constitution. We believe we know what it says and that we are staying within our lane. We're not trying to do anything that jumps into federal jurisdiction. We're just trying to exercise the power that the founders gave us under the Constitution. So ultimately, when we end up in court, the, uh, the, the court will understand our mind through the motion that we're putting forward in the legislature. And finally, we hope that the federal government backs down. I've, I've told them this right from the very beginning, from the very first conversation that I had with our working group. I said, why are you doing this? Because we know it won't work here. You're just putting us in a collision course where we'll be fighting with each other for months. Why don't we just work together on a 2050 target? It's been my consistent position from the very moment that I spoke with uh, Justin Trudeau and the ministers that are at the table with us. So um, I'm hoping that they now understand that we're serious, that we are going to preserve the integrity of our power grid in whatever way we need to so that we can get back to the table and talk about the ways in which we can agree. And I think we, there's many, many areas on which we agree. So those are other reasons. So what, I guess that goes back to, so basically the answer is, you don't need the Sovereignty Act for any of this. What it does, though, is that it actually draws more attention to it. Sure. So, but that's not what the Sovereignty Act was supposed to be about. What did you think the Sovereignty Act was supposed to be about? Of course it was. Well, the Gordians, pricing the Gordian knot, and putting Ottawa on its lane, and we're going to challenge the laws, we want to enforce laws, and that the first time you use it, you make it clear we're going to follow the law. So, I mean... Well, sorry to disappoint you, Dean, but this is what it was always about. It's not disappointing that we're following the law. No, I, I always said, I, like, this is what I'm asking the federal government to do. I'm asking the federal government to follow the law. The federal government is acting in a way that is disregarding now two court decisions that came down. And we are asserting, if you read the Sovereignty Act, you will see that the Sovereignty Act always asserted that we would stand up for our constitutional jurisdiction, stand up for our rights under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and that's what this is doing. And we're doing it through a mechanism of creating, if we need to, a Crown Corporation so that we can commission natural gas generation because here's the here's the issue dean is that the, the natural gas generation right now with abatement can only get to about 60 percent abatement that's what we know based on current best available technology i hope it improves i really do but the federal government has said that's not good enough and they've said it has to be 95 percent otherwise we will use our criminal law power to force people to uh, comply or go to jail. Like, that's where the, the gap is. is it, we want to be able to work with the federal government on this. But the, the fact of the matter is we can only go at the pace that technology will allow. So if uh, the federal government doesn't back down, you bet we are going to find a way to get natural gas on stream. You bet we are going to find a way to work with our partners to see if we can get nat uh, a nuclear power deployed as well. We're going to continue marching along the path to 2050. And if it means that they're going, we're going to end up in court, then I guess we end up in court. Yeah, that's my question. But, uh, so, yeah, but then but the method that you're using, just draw attention to it. I take that point. But, I mean, it's also, it's, these are emotionally charged words. Sovereignty, last resort, that sort of thing. I mean, you've seen some of the criticism on the weekend, again, it's not, it's not like X or whatever, but, you know, this is, this is the premier grandstanding again. This is the premier sort of dressing this thing up again and making it bigger than it needs to be. I mean, you don't need the Sovereignty Act to do any of this. So why are you why are you invoking such uh, As emotive I said, uh, terms? I suspect if the federal government does not back down, this will land in court, and the court will have no mistake 
about why it is that we're doing this. They won't have to guess. It will be written in a motion that will be read and debated in the legislature and voted on in the legislature. And we also have now created the runway of several months to do engagement where people know exactly where we're heading. And we're creating an opportunity for the federal government to do the right thing and back down. Just on the issue um, of the courts, the regulations are not in place yet. Ottawa hasn't finalized any of this. So the courts aren't going to listen. They won't be looking at this. Do you expect this to be in court soon? Or is this a more symbolic move right now to try and force the federal government into negotiations because the courts aren't going to deal with this until something I imagine comes out of Ottawa that's finalized? Look, the... um the, resu- the reaction of Environment Minister Stephen Guibault has been extraordinarily disappointing. He is acting like the Supreme Court never rendered a decision on the Impact Assessment Act, saying that it is essentially unconstitutional, especially as it relates to projects in Alberta. They're carrying on as if that didn't occur. And so I have to presume that because they've already gazetted the uh, clean electricity regs and they keep telling us that they're going to go move to the second stage on this, I have to take them seriously on that. And so if that is going to be the case, I need to start now to make sure that we're commissioning the long-term baseload power that we need. It takes years to build these things. And you've seen how the federal government acts. So they pass a, a law that's unconstitutional, which they did in 2019. They force us to go to court and wait years to get a judgment. We get a judgment, they ignore it, and then continue on as if it didn't happen in the first place. Or in the case of the plastics decision, they uh, decide to appeal it, to to lay it even further. I'm sorry, this province cannot wait four or eight or ten years for the federal government to stop invading our jurisdiction. We're telling them, stop doing it now so that we can get going as quickly as we need to on commissioning the baseload power that we need. And that's something that I'll have to defer to my, um, my affordability and utilities minister on. But I can tell you this. We nearly had our our grid fail seven times last winter. We had a level three alert. Three times over the summer, we had a level three alert. These used to be very rare. Used to be one every couple of years. We we now had eight within about a 12 to 18 month period. That is a sign that the grid is under stress. And that is a a sign that we need to work to bring more baseload power on. And we also know, just from our projections, we're expecting to double the need for electricity between now and 2050. We can't delay. I can't wait for years uh, to uh, to fight the federal government back in areas that I know the court has has said are unconstitutional. They just have to start following the law. The sort of follow-up, the uh, Crown Corporation. How do you feel as a libertarian, conservative, now looking at actually the government getting back into the business of generating electricity? Uh, Again, we would be a generator of last resort if it turns out that the private sector is not willing to provide this kind of uh, baseload power. I believe in competition um, and choice. And so we do have many ways in which... Uh, the government uh, already uh, already is a player in the market. For instance, the balance, balancing pool is already a crown corporation that is in this market. We also have, as I mentioned, Alberta Treasury Branches as a crown corporation that operates in the financial services market. We have the Alberta Petroleum Marketing Agency, which is an entity that operates on our behalf in the in the market, so that they can um, so that they can move our product. So we do have instances where we have had to create agencies to do this kind of work. This is not at all making a blanket um, uh, decision that all uh, parts of the electricity system would fall under the provincial government. It's just being a player in this market to be a generator of last resort.
And we'll take one more from the room. Hands, hands. Emmanuel? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, your resolution doesn't affect individuals or corporations. Well, it just so happens that the electricity market is private. So what difference would it make on the ground? Okay, I'll tell you what difference it would make on the ground. Um, by establishing, if we choose to go this route, a crown corporation, then I would be able to either build or commission the construction of a natural gas plant with best available technology. I would be able to build or commission or work in an MOU with Ontario, New Brunswick, and Saskatchewan on developing a suite of small modular nuclear to roll out. We would be able to work with uh, power companies to construct nuclear facilities on our behalf. If we get to a point in 2035 and there are certain power plants that are not meeting federal targets, we can purchase them and then we can continue to operate them so that they do not end up creating instability in our grid. That, that would be the reason to do it. I hope none of that happens. I, I hope we're able to continue with our entirely private sector market. But I can't sit back and allow for the grid to fail, for there to be insufficient investment in base load power, and for us to see the instability in the grid that we have get worse and worse, or the affordability get worse and worse. We have to act now to make sure that we don't end up with that outcome. Is it fiscally responsible to create a crown corporation, buy out gigantic power plants, create new ones, when your plants maybe won't even be carbon neutral by 2050, and they will, you would have to shut them down at this time? Well, look, we, we, are, we are going to do everything we can to get to a carbon neutral status by 2050. And there's a number of ways in which we hope that's going to happen. And if you look at the companies who have set out a 2050 target, uh, some think they might even be able to reach it a couple of years early, like Capital Power. And they talk about carbon capture utilization and storage technology, which we are very keen to support. Talk about the increasing use of hydrogen, which we are also keen to support bringing in small modular nuclear, which will take uh, many years for us to develop the regulatory approval process, but we're also keen to support that. Uh, in addition to direct air capture, that uh, technology is in its infancy, and I think it will be a very important part of the future. And then uh, being able to purchase offset credits, potentially from the international market, using Article 6 so that we can get credit for reducing emissions elsewhere. The, there's a whole suite of different uh, uh, options available at our disposal, but the point is... We control the electricity grid. The Constitution says so. And we would ask that the federal government respect our jurisdiction. Thank you. We'll now go over to the phones. Operator, can you put through our first caller, please? David Staples, Edmonton Journal. Thanks for taking my call. Premier, um, you characterized the province of Alberta as being wanting to work with the federal government on this, on this issue of net zero. Give me the biggest example of how you uh, are working with them, compromising from mm -hmm. Alberta's point of view. And you, you characterize Stephen Jibo as being uncompromising, unwilling to work. What's the biggest example of him not willing to work with Alberta? Well, the biggest example of Gibo not willing to work with Alberta is the fact that he continues to bulldoze ahead with uh, the net zero electricity grid uh, re regulations. Even, even though we've put our submission in, we've been at the table, we've demonstrated to them that it's just simply not possible here. The uh, uh, private sector assessment of this suggests it would cost the Canadian economy $1 trillion to $1.7 trillion, the lion's share of that falling upon us. So the, the fact that he continues to, to go ahead uh, in advancing those and hasn't 
um, made the decision to work with us on 2050 is the, the prime example, and that's the reason for this announcement today. Where I can work with the federal government, a couple of things. I mean, I'm very pleased to see that the Trans Mountain Pipeline is near completion, and uh, if you look at the newspapers, they're suggesting they might, within a couple of weeks, be able to, to call for first oil, which is pretty amazing. Um, if you look at the collaboration that we have had on Air Products Hydrogen Facility, we have supported it with our Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program. The federal government has as well. So the fact that we're working together on net zero initiatives, I think, is another example of uh, the ways in which we're, we're able to work together collaboratively. Uh, we are going to announce tomorrow our carbon capture, utilization, and storage tax credit, which dovetails with what we saw in the economic statement. It sounds like the federal government, having proposed that, is finally going to put forward the uh, rules around it uh, and the legislative framework before the end of the year, which is fantastic. So we're looking forward to working collaboratively with them on that. We've created a working group on um, on small modular nuclear to find out how we might be able to accelerate the regulatory approval process since we've never had that in Alberta before. We need to make uh, have a brand new process. That, that work is going very well. And I suspect we'll do a lot more work on hydrogen. Um, Jonathan Wilkinson drives a hydrogen vehicle himself. And so I think he has already demonstrated through his actions that he's an enthusiast of how we might be able to use hydrogen not only for transportation, um, our long-haul tr trucking, as well as um, potential for, for our uh, electric, elect electricity generation as well. So I think that there's a lot of areas that we've been able to work together on this. But for some reason, they um, are, are allowing Environment Minister Stephen Guibault to stay stuck on this issue. Uh, that uh, is, it's a non-starter for us, quite frankly. And I, th I think that this action we're taking today demonstrates that. And did you Premier, you mentioned the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and one of the concerns people have about Crown Corporations and government getting involved in business is how costs escalate for Trans Mountain. It went from under $10 billion to more than $30 billion to get this thing uh, close to completion. What would you say to people who have this concern about your talk about getting into the electricity and get, you know, power generation market uh, with the Crown Corporation and costs just getting out of control? from the government perspective? Well, this is why I would hope that we would be a generator of last resort because we do have some new, some recent projects approved years ago that will be coming on stream in, uh, the, in the next year. Cascades is a perfect example. It's partially Indigenous owned. It's 900 megawatts and it costs $1.5 billion to build. I, I mentioned that on purpose, too, because look at the comparators of other large-scale projects across the country, whether it's Muskrat Falls or whether it's Site C. Site C is 1,100 megawatts, and it is now, uh, I believe, $15 billion. So natural gas is still going to be the more cost-effective alternative. Um, obviously, if we can partner with the expertise in the private sector, because they know how to build these things, they're pretty good at it, they're able to keep the price down, we've got a, at least a benchmark about how much these things ought to cost. Um, and then we'll, um, we'll have an expectation that the best available technology for carbon capture will be attached to that. I'm told right now that that's probably an additional $600 million. Um, just to give you some idea of how expensive it is for best available technology being on there. So those are the, the things that we're uh, going to have to continue to support and hope that as the development of the technology improves, that the cost will come down and they'll get better and better at it. But you've got to start somewhere. You have to, to do things incrementally. And the, this, we have a fantastic group of 
private industry generators who want to invest in our market. The unfortunate thing is, because of all of the uncertainty, they don't want to invest in what we need, which is base load power. And so um, if the federal government backs down, works with us on a 2050 target, we may not have to be the generator of last resort. But if they don't, then we will. Thank you. And operator, can you put through our next caller, please? Rick Bell, Calgary Sun. Uh, good afternoon, Premier. Um, <clears throat> I want to clear away a bunch of stuff and get right down to the basic uh, level of the coffee shop. Um, there's a line where you say the resolution asks Alberta's cabinet to order all provincial entities not to recognize the validity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm focused just on that, not on crown corporations or anything else. So how would you explain to a person in your riding or to a person in High River, how would you explain what you're actually doing? The feds, let us just assume the feds bring in their electricity rules for 2035, the net zero regulations. Let's assume that is the case. What does this Sovereignty Act actually mean in terms of pushing the feds of not allowing, basically not allowing that to happen in Alberta? Well, we have a process where the Alberta electric system operator uh, assists us in identifying future need and helping us to develop the transmission and distribution lines associated with that and approving those. The Alberta Utilities Commission makes decisions around citing those, uh, those entities, and the Market Surveillance Administrator um, make sure that everybody's obeying the rules. Those three entities report to us. And so what we are saying is that right now at our peak, we need about 12,000 megawatts of base load power when it's minus 30 and plus 30 to make sure that the power grid doesn't fail. By 2050, it's probably going to double. We will need 24,000 megawatts of base load power. We will build it. We are going to build the sufficient base load power to make sure that the lights stay on and that electricity stays affordable all while working towards a 2050 target. And so we are in, uh, we are directing all of our provincial entities that report to us to get their mandate from us to work with us on achieving that target. Net zero by 2050, but doubling the power grid and ensuring that we have sufficient base load power. And my supplementary is, so from what you've just described, it seems clear to me that what you are doing is defying Ottawa, defying the Trudeau government, defying the feds, that that's clear to, for the average person, if you were asked, are you defying what they are doing? And then where it says, because some people might get confused, this order would not apply to private companies. Mm -hmm. I gather since we're talking about electricity, we're talking about electricity companies. I mean, are they actually going to meet the 25, 2035 target? It doesn't sound like it. So can you explain what exactly is your stance against Ottawa? Is this defying, as I think you portrayed the Sovereignty Act, defying um, Ottawa's regulations? Yes. I mean, if they come through with the clean electricity regs, they will be mandating that we have to have essentially an emissions-free power grid by 2035. That means no one will build natural gas. We don't have a regulatory framework to build nuclear. No one will build nuclear. We don't have the resources to build hydro. No one will build hydro. So if we do not act, we will end up with instability in our grid 
we will either not be able to grow as a province or we will end up with uh, with brownouts and blackouts. That's that's the pathway that the federal government is giving us. And I've just said, no, we are not doing that. We're going to build enough base load power so that we can continue to keep up with growth, which will be doubling the amount of power that we need. And we'll build whatever we need to in our market. What makes sense is natural gas abated to the best available technology available right now, which may not be in sync with the federal targets, but I want our industry to be able to make the best effort. And we'll see. I mean, if they're not prepared to, to uh, take the risk that their executives are not going to be thrown in jail in 2035, then we'll have to be the generator of last resort and we will have to build that ourselves. But this is, uh, this is the conversation we have to have with the industry about how do we de-risk these projects, make sure that we get, they get, businesses get, and Albertans get what they need. Thanks, Rick. We have time for a couple more questions. Operator, could you put through our next caller, please? Kelly Kreiderman, Global Mail. Hi, Premier. Um, I wanted to ask you in another way, is this officially sending notice to the federal government that all negotiations on the clean electricity standard are done? The working group that has existed, its work in this policy matter is done? It's not sending that message. What it's sending the message is continue working with us on our 2050 target. We have a couple of initiatives that I think are going to be really successful and collaborative. I've mentioned a few of them. Our work together on hydrogen, on small modular nuclear, as well as our our work on the carbon capture utilization and storage tax credits. I think that that work can continue and be very positive. But they, they have to draw up this unconstitutional, unachievable, and unaffordable uh, 2035 target. We just that, that's, a, that's a non-starter, and it's not just us saying so. It's Saskatchewan saying so. It's Ontario saying so. There's electric system operator has said the same thing, and they're bringing on natural gas in order to be able to meet um, and keep up with demand. So this is a, there, there's a number of different voices who are saying the same thing. They should listen. They should also listen to what the Supreme Court said. We went to the court for a reason, and the Supreme Court said that they cannot use a federal head of power to interfere in our jurisdiction. That is not cooperative federalism. We still want to cooperate. We're just looking to see them do the same. Premier, how do you ensure that the provincial officials you will be directing not follow this regulation? How do you ensure that they're protected from any prosecution or any any fallout? Even if you're talking about not individuals, not private companies, there are still people who work at ASO, at the AUC, how do you protect them um, from from any of the fallout of this? Well, 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 we'll look and see what is happening in other jurisdictions to see what kind of architecture they put around uh, similar types of legislation. But we, we do also already have a practice of having in, indemnities in laws for, uh, for certain officials. For instance, Chief Medical Officer of Health in the Public Health Act is indemnified uh, for many of her decisions uh, facing any kind of sanction. So there has been uh, examples in the past where we've been able to establish provincial law to protect provincial officials as they make their decisions. Thank you, Kelly. And we'll take one more question. Operator, could you put through our final caller, please? John Bray, Calgary Herald. Thank you, and thanks for taking my call. Kelly just asked my main question about uh, indemnifying public service. I just want to ask quickly about comparisons between what you're up to here and Saskatchewan. They're actually, it looks like they're making the electricity market their Sask Energy declaring it the sole marketer in the entire province, uh, drawing all power to collect revenues into 
general revenue and then giving the minister sole authority whether to send them anywhere else, i.e. Ottawa. So they've really done a total uh, framework for, for defying the law, which in their case is the, uh, uh, something else again, it's about the carbon tax rate, um, uh, on January the 1st. And they're doing that and, and able to do it because they've already got a Crown Corporation. There were Crown Corporations in Alberta in the past for this kind of thing that were very successful. Are you actually really attached to the idea of doing a Crown Corporation for energy that will, uh, not just because of this, but for other reasons as well? We're, we're not going in the direction of Saskatchewan. Uh, we, we value our private sector players, and we want to make sure that our private sector continues to be strong. I'd love for the private sector to continue to be allowed to work the way we intended. But with the federal government intervening the way they have, it's created uncertainty in the market, so we don't have the investment that we need. So we, we want to be the generator of last resort. That would be the, the main difference, I think, between what they're doing in Saskatchewan and, and what we're intending to do in Alberta. And we'll take, uh, I mean, the, the consultation that we're going to do with the private sector is genuine. If, if they think that there is another way for us to achieve the target that we want to achieve, we will absolutely be open-minded about that. But uh, all of the generators that we've spoken with, and I can tell you between myself and the minister, we've talked to, we've talked to pretty well every single person who is operating in this sector over the last number of months. But the ones that I have talked to um, have said that the, the, the signals that they're getting make it too dangerous for their boards of directors to take the risk that they might be out of compliance in 2035. And it's part of the reason why we do not have significant base load power coming on board. That's, that's what we're responding to. So I'm very hopeful that if there is another way that we can find it, but if there isn't, then we're prepared to be the generator of last resort and maintain as much of this private operation of this market as we can. And did you have a follow-up there, Don? Yeah, one thing they've done in Saskatchewan as well is really give a very complete legal authority for the government to uh, indemnify all the people who might be involved in decision-making that aren't actually government and putting it all directly on the minister. Are you going to be able to do anything like that for this scattering of crowns that you're, uh, you've got here, that like the, the energy market or so forth, the ones you named? Uh, would you be able to do that? And would you do that if this comes to the crisis point for all those people? The uh, Alberta Electric System Operator, the AUC, the MSA, and the balancing pool, um, in addition to whatever crown entity we might have to establish, we'd be looking at similar type of legislation so that the um, any potential liability rests with the, the government um, and the, uh, the minister responsible, maybe me. I've joked with Scott Moe about whether he's prepared to go to jail. He sounds like he is. I guess they'll be coming for me in 2035 if it comes down to it, and I hope it doesn't come down to it. But we want to make sure that uh, no official in exercising the role that we have directed them to is at risk um, from any kind of prosecution. I think we can uh, look at what's happening in, in Saskatchewan as a bit of a model for how we might uh, protect the, the individuals at those entities. Perfect. Thanks, Don. And that's all the time we have for questions today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thanks a reminder so of the embargo rules.